We're thinking of names, we were thinking of uh, Phoebe's names earlier on, and we're looking at a character in the Bible called Thomas, Uh, you probably heard of him, one of the apostles. We're going to look at uh, his encounter with Jesus today. What's in a name? Uh, Our beloved Prime Minister has four children with Marina, and uh, you can't see the names very clearly again, we weren't uh, planning the slides for this room, but... um, His four children with Marina are called Theodore Apollo, Milo Arthur, Cassia Peaches, and Lara Lettuce. And yes, Lettuce is spelt with an I in her name. So that's our beloved Prime Minister's uh, children with Marina. We talked about the Alpha Course, and Nikki Gumbel, who heads that up, uh, has several grandchildren. And these are the names of three of their grandchildren. And unfortunately, we can't change the position of the, uh, the projector there. So one of them is called Brave Elijah Fire Nikki Peace Ocean. And another one of his grandchildren is called Freedom Justice Wildfire Corrie Tabitha Love. And another one, Passion Daniel Fire Equality Colby Kindness uh, Gumball. So very interesting choices of uh, grandchildren's names. I, I think you guys over there are probably happier with Phoebe. That's uh, <laughs> is a better choice. But they, they kind of picture maybe some of the... Uh, his kids have probably done the Alpha course a hundred times. So uh, you've gone too far. We weren't there yet. They've... Um, uh, some of the values of Alpha, the characters that are, are talked about in the Alpha course are reflected in there. And some of their values in life, equality and peace and justice and freedom have come through in the naming of their children. And then we've heard already that uh, Phoebe uh, Elsie Irene stands for light and promise and peace, and that's wonderful. We're looking at Thomas today, and that's not a picture of him, that's a kind of icon. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what he looked like. He's one of the 12 disciples, one of the 12 apostles. And what does his name mean? What does his name mean? Pardon? Doubt. No, it doesn't mean doubt. Twin. It's just Aramaic for twin. And when you read the story, it says he's also known as Didymus, which is Greek for twin. We don't know anything about his twin. Uh, Some of the versions say he was nicknamed twin. Maybe he behaved like he was a twin or I don't always hung around with someone else. I'm not sure. Maybe he had a twin. We don't know anything about his twin, whether he survived or died or whatever. I know lots of people called Thomas, and none of them are twins, so I don't know whether it was just the sound of the name they liked. Nicknames are wonderful. Uh, One of Luke's childhood nicknames is Buster, because he was broad-shouldered and tough. As soon as he popped out of the womb... Buster Aylwood hit the world. So Buster was one of his... I think he probably had a few other nicknames, but uh, Buster is one that's uh, very resident of his life and childhood. Uh, a primary school nickname for me was Hedgehog. Because uh, I had thick hair. It was a different colour from this. And they used to kind of rub my head and uh, remind them of hedgehogs back in primary school days. But uh, Thomas, known as Twin, uh, gets nicknamed by us Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. Is that fair on the man? Is that fair? Well, let's look at his story and let's decide. 
So we've broken down, again, I'm sorry you can't see the whole thing, but let's uh, read this out together if you can follow. John chapter 20. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. You do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And that's the introduction. And we're looking at Resurrection Day. The first Sunday after the crucifixion, the day that Jesus uh, rose from the dead. And it was a busy Sunday. Uh, Right from early in the morning, Jesus appeared to Mary and the other women by the tomb in the garden. And then he's on the road to Emmaus. And he's walking along with Cleopas and Cleopas's friend. And then when they get to the end of the road, he reveals who he is as they break the bread together. And now it's the evening And he's joined a larger group of disciples late in the evening. Some say it's the encounter with the ten, because obviously Thomas wasn't there and Judas wasn't there. But it seems that Cleopas and his friend and maybe some others were there. We don't know exactly how many. But Jesus appears to the disciples and they were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. It's a wonderful turnaround. They were despairing. They denied him. They'd run away. But now they've met the Lord again and see that he genuinely had risen from the dead. And it just dawned on them that amazing reality. And they were absolutely overjoyed. And Jesus blessed them. And he said, peace be with you. And that was a kind of standard Hebrew greeting. But I think the word peace has a broader meaning. I know we've got peace in Phoebe's name uh, today. Uh, The word shalom, and that's wellness, goodness, Uh, The love and favor and blessing of the Lord be upon you. And that's what Jesus came with, that greeting of peace and shalom. And it's not just saying the words, but it's a real spiritual communication. When Jesus said the words, they received in their hearts and lives and spirits that feeling of the love and affirmation and goodness and care and wellness and wholeness can only come from God. They actually got something, they received it. And we read the, the high priestly blessing over Phoebe earlier on. This is another version of it. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show his kindness and have mercy on you. And may the Lord watch over you and give you peace. And we believe today that Phoebe has been blessed by God. It wasn't just kind of tick the box. There's a real spiritual communication and blessing that's come from Jesus. So thank you for bringing her to be dedicated today. And something real is communicated. You know the story in Genesis 27, Jacob and Esau, when uh, Isaac's tricked to give his blessing to Jacob instead of Esau. And then he blesses Jacob uh, with all these wonderful blessings. Then Esau comes along and says, what about me? And, and you'd think kind of in our mentality, well, why couldn't Isaac just say the same thing for him? But he said, I've already communicated the blessing. I haven't got anything else for you. Eventually he does find something to bless 
uh, Esau with, but he'd given it. There was a real transaction, a real spiritual communication. So it's not just words. It's actually blessing and reality that comes from God. And then Jesus goes on to say, receive the Holy Spirit. And he breathed on them. I'm not sure they actually received the Spirit at that point. Some people think they did. Or whether that was prophetic for what would happen on the day of Pentecost when they were totally filled full of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus came... And Jesus was with them, Jesus blessed them, and they were overjoyed. Let's carry on the story, because Thomas wasn't there. Verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, let's read together, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I seal the nail marks in his hands... And put my finger where the nails were. And put my hand into his side. I will not believe. A week later his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them. And said peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas. Put your finger here. Reach. My hand. Reach out your hand. And put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. So Thomas had missed out. He wasn't there. He's not berated for missing out. It's just stating a fact, isn't it? And for whatever reason, he hadn't been there. And have you ever felt like you've missed out? Sometimes I I remember uh, being part of a church and I usually was there. And then I was away for the weekend. And then you get back and... God really came this week. It was just like a different level of things. God's presence was there. His reality was there. We were so blessed. It was overwhelming. And you're like, I wasn't there. Most weeks I am. Why was I away that one week? I don't think God's blessing just depends on one week. Uh, Do you feel you've missed out? Thomas had missed out. But Jesus is going to include him. So if you've ever felt, you know, other people become Christians and it's not happening for me. Other people have been blessed by God. I haven't. Other people have been filled with the Spirit. I'm not. Don't worry. Jesus wants to include you. He wants to uh, bring you in to the good things he has. Thomas has very excited friends. The other disciples were overjoyed to see Jesus risen from the dead. We've seen the Lord, they said. Uh, I don't know if they said it just once. The tense implies that they kept on saying it. We've seen the Lord, we've seen the Lord, we've seen the Lord. And Thomas is like, shut up, you know, I wasn't there. But we've seen the Lord, they were so excited. And then he responds, and this is where he gets his nickname, isn't it? He demands this. He said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. That's quite a strong statement, isn't it? He demands visual and tactile evidence. He wants to see and touch and put his hand in the place where the nails were. And you know, disciples like Thomas weren't gullible. And God actually doesn't want us to be easy believers. He never wants us to take blind leaps of faith. He wants us to know the reality of who he is and what he's come to do. But he's not trying to push us onto the ground of just just believe anything I tell you. Have a blind leap 
leap of faith. Jesus can handle Thomas's searing honesty. And it's a strong statement, but I don't think it's a kind of statement of willful disbelief and unbelief. He's saying, I need to have a personal encounter for myself. I can't just rely on what other people are saying. I want to know for myself. And that's fine. If he was saying, I I can't believe it, I won't believe it, no matter what happens, forget it. That's one thing. That's a kind of hardness of heart. But he's... I think in his heart he's wanting to, but he wasn't there. He hasn't experienced it himself. But it's no problem to say, well, I need to know for myself. I can't just go on what other people are saying. And it's been wonderful to bless Phoebe today. But as she grows, she can't rely just on her parents' faith. She has to choose to follow Jesus and decide for herself as she grows, if that's what she wants to do with her life. And we pray that it is. So Jesus can handle people not being gullible, easy believers. He can handle our honesty. Maybe Thomas was grieving as well, and sometimes it's hard to believe when we're going through lots of stuff ourselves. He'd been close to Jesus for three years. Jesus was the most amazing person that's ever lived, and he'd seen that he'd been cruelly crucified. So maybe Thomas was really hurting and grieving. And it's not easy to believe when you're hurting. It's real. Uh, That pain uh, can be like a cloud getting in the way. and It really isn't easy to believe. And there's been times uh, in our lives over the years where really bad things have happened. And that's a real jar to to faith, isn't it? Uh, One of the ones I remember most powerfully is uh, Yvonne's sister's husband died of a brain tumor when he was 32 and not only is she close to her sister, and so it was her sister's husband that had died, but uh, he'd been in Yvonne's class at school. Uh, and then he started going out with Yvonne's sister. So she'd known him personally from school days. Uh, her sister was very happily married to him, and now, age 32, he dies of a brain tumour. And that, that really impacts our faith. And it's hard to believe, but Jesus understands that. If we're struggling to be in a place of faith, Jesus really understands that. And Jesus can cope with our disposition or character as well. Thomas is quite an interesting person. Uh, You know this kind of glass half empty, half... I think Thomas was a glass half empty kind of guy. And if you look at the few places it talks about him, uh, he's very much like that. I, I was trying to think where I'm at. I think I'm probably more glass half empty. How many of you are glass half full? Great, I need to hang around you guys. How many glass half empty? It's kind of 50-50. How many Schrodinger's glass? No, we won't go there. We meet Thomas before. We meet him in John chapter 11, verse 6. And uh, this is the story. Jesus heard Lazarus was ill, and he stayed there two more days. Then he said to his disciples, Jesus said, let's go back to Judea. And the disciples say this, but Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back. And then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there, so that you may believe. Let's go to him now. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let's also go so that we can die with him. 
Well, Greg, he's up for stuff, Thomas. He's really up for stuff. But he's not the faith-filled man of God that says, yeah, Lazarus is dead. Uh, let's go. Maybe we're going to raise him from the dead. He's, yeah, Lazarus is dead. They want to stone Jesus to death. Let's go. And then we can all die with him. He's that kind of guy. But Jesus knows how to deal with different characters and different dispositions. He can cope with you, whether you're glass half full or glass half empty. The story moves on. To, sorry, go, go back one to that bottom slide. A week later, his disciples were in the house again that we just read. So it's the following Sunday. The last encounter had been Resurrection Day. Thomas had missed out. He wasn't there. And the following Sunday, Jesus appears again. And he doesn't condemn Thomas, does he? He doesn't, you, you unbelieving, whatever, get out of here. You're not going to be one of my disciples anymore. He's not like that at all. He greets Thomas. He doesn't call him Doubting Thomas. We've written that into the script. It's not fair, is it? He doesn't call him Doubting Thomas. He blesses Thomas. Peace be with you. Shalom. And without Thomas asking anything at all, Jesus is clearly aware of his demands from the previous Sunday. And Jesus just says, okay then, put your finger in here. Put your hand in my side. Now, it doesn't say Thomas did those things. Did he go up and, okay, I'm going to stuff my finger in your hand and fiddle around with your guts in your side. He didn't do that. It was enough, I believe, that he'd seen Jesus. And it was enough for Thomas that, to know that Jesus knew him and knew what he'd said the week before. He doesn't need, I believe, to touch Maybe he did. I don't think he needed to touch him. And Thomas realizes, Jesus knows me, Jesus understands me, Jesus has heard me, and in his grace, Jesus has appeared to me. And I want that for us. I want us to know we're not going to see Jesus physically, but just to know Jesus has heard me, Jesus understands me, Jesus knows me, and Jesus can make himself real to me. And Thomas has this huge swing, doesn't he? He goes from fierce, honest skepticism to a wonderful declaration of faith. And he says, my Lord and my God. So now let's read that, the last part of the story together. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Let's stop there rather than reading the last bit. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And it's one of the few places in the New Testament that Jesus is unequivocally called God. One of the few places that he's called God. Last week, Thomas knows that Jesus has been crucified and he's dead and gone. Last week, Despite what the other disciples say, Thomas says, I'm not going to believe on the basis of your experience. I need to know myself. I need to see and touch. But this week, he meets Jesus and he immediately utters one of the greatest confessions of faith there's ever been. You are my Lord and my God. And some people think, well, maybe if I was around at the time of Jesus, it would be easier to believe that he was God. I can't see him. I can't touch him. Where is he? I actually think 
it was probably harder to believe. Even though he was wonderful, he was a man. He was walking around, he was eating with us, we were spending time. That's harder to believe he was God than for us, I think. You know, if, if people say Gary is God, how wonderful he is, but I, I find that harder to believe. A man I'd known and talked to and been around, I think it would be harder to believe, not easier. But Thomas knows that Jesus is the Son of God, and he declares it. Interestingly, back in uh, the mid-first century, the Roman Emperor Domitian used that similar title for himself. And the emperor called himself Dominus et Deus Noster, our Lord and God. But Thomas swears allegiance to the Lord Jesus, not to the emperor. And this confession, my Lord and my God, is very useful if you have Jehovah's Witnesses coming to your door. Uh, I know someone that used to have a bucket of water ready. Uh, Very unkind. Don't do that. Uh, It may not be wise to enter into a long debate on your doorstep with Jehovah's Witnesses, but the Apostle Thomas, worshipping Jesus and saying, my Lord and my God, goes against what the JWs teach, that Jesus was just an angel. And then verse 29, then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Jesus must know that Thomas's doubt wasn't willful rejection of him, but a desire to know through sight and touch. And Jesus graciously appears to him. It's a special time between Jesus' death and his ascension. And we're not going to be able to touch him and see the wounds. But Jesus can still be seen and known through the eyes of faith. And that's where we come in. So what can we know? What can we see? What can we learn from here? I've written a few things there that I'm going to close with. And the first is that Jesus encourages people onto the ground of faith. Jesus encourages people onto the ground of faith. I struggle with that. I'm a glass half empty person. But Jesus encourages me, not to necessarily, I'm believing for this one thing, but to know him and believe him. He encourages me onto that ground. And I I need that. I need to to hear that. I've got uh, some people I know, don't know them particularly well. An older minister, his wife, used to be in Wimbledon for many years, now moved down to Chichester. And they send emails a few times a year just with a word of encouragement. And uh, I don't know who's on the the email list. I'm one of them, but I can't see who else gets it. But this is one that just arrived two days ago. And this is, uh, they've been praying, this couple, they're in their late 80s. And they just emailed this to me. This is the Lord speaking. Celebrate my grace. Believe with all your heart that I am good and generous. It is right that you should search out matters. For I do indeed hide so that you may seek and find. Have faith, and let faith be a fruitful tree in your life. For faith is more than accepting that I can do certain things. Faith is an active pursuit. Faith is a spiritual exercise. Faith is a treasure hunt. Seek an ever more close awareness of my love and my presence. Call upon my name, not in anxiety, but with serenity of heart. Give me time to reveal my secrets to you. 
Press in, be urgent with your requests. Be aware of that inner knowing which you cannot work up, but which takes possession of your heart. I need to pray into that more, but that's a real encouragement. Jesus encourages people onto the ground of faith, and he wants that for me. And Jesus does that, not making life difficult for us, but he does that in the context of making himself known. He didn't kind of hide away and say to Thomas, you know, come on, believe enough. I'll give you nothing to go on. Just believe and I'll wait for however long it takes. He graciously appeared and made himself known. And I was um, hearing some other pastors and authors um, and people uh, that got their preachers up on YouTube or whatever about faith and doubt uh, and just hearing how Jesus had made themselves real to them. And uh, a guy called Francis Chan, who had a big megachurch in America, is now more running a discipleship ministry. There were just a few things. He was thinking it would be nice to have a holiday with my family, but I can't justify spending money uh, on a nice holiday. I want to give it away to people in need, and that's what he did. And then the next week he gets this letter with a check for a decent amount of money saying, Use this for you and your family. It's like, wow, Jesus knew my heart. There's something you wanted, an item you wanted. I can't, can't spend money on that. And then someone actually sent him a note and then got delivered the thing that he wanted. And the, thing had been, it had been, the note had been put in the post a couple of days before he was thinking, I really want this thing, but I can't justify buying it for myself. And I think think of times where it's been something important, something I've really wanted an answer to prayer to, um, particularly for someone else. It's been really important for them. And I've prayed about it. And against all the odds, it happens. And you think, Jesus knows me. Jesus is listening, just like he listened in to Thomas saying, I won't believe. And then a week later, he graciously appears. Jesus can, can listen in to us. He's not going to part the skies, give us a wave and step out of heaven. But in all sorts of ways, as we pray, as we seek him, he's going to make himself known to us. We can learn as well, it's okay to doubt and question and probe. Like Thomas, it's not a problem that we're not just going to believe and take blind leaps of faith. Thomas wasn't going to take someone else's word or someone else's experience. He needed an experience himself. And I believe that's okay. You don't have to go on your parents' experience. You don't have to go on what someone else says. Jesus can make himself known and real to you. And it's okay to question and probe. Uh, That's fine. Ask questions. Say you can't just believe and see what Jesus does. In his book, In Two Minds, The Dilemma of Doubt and How to Resolve It, uh, the theologian, author, and social critic Oz Guinness wrote this. If ours is an examined faith... We should be unafraid to doubt. If ours is an examined faith, we should be unafraid to doubt. If doubt is eventually justified, we were believing what clearly was not worth believing. But if doubt is answered, our faith has grown stronger. It knows God more certainly and it can enjoy God more deeply. In other words, however, it's not a matter of how strong your faith is at times, Everyone experiences doubt, whether you're the Pope or the Archbishop of Canterbury or whatever. 
We all experience doubt, but instead of being a sign of weakness, doubt can actually be something that causes us to dig deeper into our relationship with God, and we can therefore become stronger. And we've got uh, a Wednesday night group called uh, Journey Through John. There's a few people here that are going through John's Gospel and we'll be carrying on this Wednesday. Last time we were looking at the woman at the well and Jesus makes himself known to her. He talks about the living water. He comes onto her ground and makes himself known in a way that she can understand. Then she goes back and tells the rest of the village. And then they come to find out about Jesus for themselves. And they say to her, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. So it's okay to doubt, question and probe. But let's believe that Jesus can help us and in his grace and in his time make himself real to us, even in very subtle ways. My house group's doing a prayer course. And the next point, and then to look at the time and wind up pretty soon, uh, is Pete Gregg's prayer course. And he made this point, prayer is relational, not transactional. Prayer is relational, not transactional. It's an ongoing conversation with God, just talking to Jesus about anything in life in a very natural way. We can petition and ask for things, but prayer shouldn't be, give me this or give me that. And if you tie your faith to one thing you feel you want or need and make it all about that transaction, you'll usually come unstuck. I asked for this, I didn't get it, so God's not real. It's about talking to Jesus. It's not transactional, it's not asking for one thing that's going to be deciding of what I do with my life. It's just naturally talking to God. And as you get close to Jesus, you'll find you can believe for things. Jesus can take, next slide, can cope with our different dispositions. And uh, if you're a pessimist, if you're an Eeyore, then uh, that's, that's fine. Jesus can handle that. One of the other times we meet Thomas is in John 14. And uh, Jesus says, you know the way I'm going to his disciples. No, we don't know, Thomas said. We've got no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? Wonderful, isn't he? Wonderful character. And then Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Thomas's pessimism draws out some of the best sayings of Jesus as well. Jesus can cope with our disposition. Jesus restores people. Thomas says, I won't believe. Then Jesus appears to him and he says, my Lord and my God. Next chapter, we've learned that Peter's denied Jesus three times. Jesus appears to him in John 21 and says, do you love me? And then by saying, yes, Lord, three times over, Jesus restores Peter. So maybe you feel you've been a person of faith. You really believe for stuff. You're really going for it spiritually. And you've gone off the boil. In looking at Thomas, we can see how Jesus restores us and restores people. And he wants to restore you. And he can, just like he restored Thomas. And then finally, Jesus gives us faith adventures. Now in the West, when we think about faith, we're very Eurocentric, aren't we? We're very Eurocentric. It's about Rome. It's about the church in Europe. It's about uh, Paul and Peter. But what about Thomas? And God has the whole world on his heart. 
And uh, it seems we don't know all the details, we haven't got all the evidence, but it seems that Thomas went east. Instead of going west to Rome, he travelled east, particularly into India. And the church in places like Kerala and Tamil Nadu were attributed to Thomas. He was in Kerala in AD 52. And there are people here in this room from Kerala. Give us a wave. So thanks, Thomas. Doubting Thomas has brought people into this very room today because he ended up by having a great faith adventure with Jesus. Uh, He's thought to be buried in Chennai, otherwise known as Madras, and was martyred there about AD 72. And it's also thought he may have made missionary journey into China as well. So we heard about China, heard about India, Thomas went there. So it's incredible that if you want to know the Lord, don't be afraid of your doubts, don't be afraid to ask him hard questions, but he can graciously appear to you. And you can go from someone that I just can't believe to someone that knows that Jesus knows you and loves you and hears you and understands you. And then he can call you to do amazing things in his kingdom. Start the church in India and start the church in China maybe as well. So let's, let's think of Thomas. What's in a name? Just twin. The nickname Doubting Thomas but someone that encountered Jesus and his life was radically changed. Let's just pray and then I'll hand back to Scott. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you care for us. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that we can be real with you. Whatever we think, whatever we feel, we can let that be known to you. And Lord, you don't don't just appear uh, physically and walk into this space, but Just like with Thomas, we believe that you can hear us, you know what we're thinking, you know what we're feeling. And if we're open to it, Lord Jesus, we know that you can make yourself known to us and you can radically bless us and change our lives and give us a wonderful part to play in your kingdom. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.